Hey, everybody, this is Douglas Burdett, host of the Marketing Book Podcast, and this is a special bonus episode. Not too long ago, I was interviewed by Philip Stutz for his Undefeated Marketing System podcast, and longtime listeners may recognize his name since Philip has been a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast twice. The first time was for his book, Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell, and the Truth About Political Strategies That Help Businesses Win, and more recently to talk about his newest book, The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula That Elects Presidents. He was also on the show for part of the limited time series, Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails, when I produced 66 episodes during the lockdown in 2020 until my liver needed a rest. And he was also one of the primary reasons I started uh, doing that limited time series. Philip has a very interesting background. For many, many years, he's been a political consultant, and he's worked on over 1,200 political campaigns around the United States, including U.S. presidential races. His political strategic media firm is called Go Big Media. Over the years, a number of his clients asked for business marketing advice, so he later established a separate marketing firm just for businesses called Win Big Media. And much of his marketing advice, like his books, is based on the realities of what has worked well for marketing candidates, and I find that very intriguing and enormously effective these days. I think corporations can learn a lot about more effective marketing by following what political candidates do. Anyway, Philip and I were introduced by another guest on the show, the legendary David Merriman Scott, the very first guest on the Marketing Book Podcast, and I call him the godfather of the Marketing Book Podcast. And David is the author of several best-selling books, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR, How to Use Content Marketing, Podcasting, Social Media, AI, Live, Video, and Newsjacking to Reach Buyers Directly which is now in its seventh edition. I recommend that book all the time. And Philip later introduced me to the legendary Jay Abraham, whom I was able to interview on the podcast about his book, The Sticking Point Solution, Nine Ways to Move Your Business from Stagnation to Stunning Growth. So Philip has really enjoyed being on the Marketing Book Podcast, and we've become friends, and he has heard from a lot of Marketing Book Podcast listeners. And He thought that this short interview might be of interest to my listeners uh, because in this interview, we talk about some of the things I've learned and noticed uh, from having the first 350 books uh, on the show. And since last week, I did actually publish episode 350 with Dory Clark about her new book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. This seemed like a sort of a nice celebratory bonus for for the listeners. So I will include links to Philip's previous interviews on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And I'll also include links to some of the author interviews that I mentioned during this conversation, as well as the uh, interviews that I've, I've just mentioned to you. So with that having been said, enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to the Undefeated Marketing Podcast. Okay, I love having guests on here that are friends and people that I have fun with in the marketing space. And the guest today is none other than Douglas Burdett. Don't know Douglas? Well, here's the deal. Douglas is the founder and president of Artillery, a manufacturing and industrial marketing agency in Norfolk, Virginia. But that's not... 
why you should also know him is that he runs probably the most, the biggest podcast on marketing out there in the game today. It's the Marketing Book Podcast. It was named by LinkedIn. It's one of the 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. And by Forbes is one of the 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know. But here's the deal that people don't say. This is why I love the world we live in right now. Douglas has an incredibly loyal following of thousands and thousands and thousands of marketers. And he only has people on his podcast that have marketing books. If you want to come talk about how you're a great marketer, and you're going to fly with Douglas. And the we got introduced by David Meerman Scott, a previous guest on this show, and who is one of my good buddies. And he said, oh, you're going to love Douglas. Well, since then, Douglas and I have hit it off. Um, we make fun of each other every time we talk to each other. Uh, he's just one of the great guys I've been around. And I'm excited because I just get to hang out with him for the next 45 minutes and learn from him. And that is you, Douglas. How are you doing today? Good. Good to be here. Good to be talking to you. And I should add that we have a, a beach house in Florida, which I think is only 20 minutes away from you. So you've uh, never come to visit. We in never come. Years I've, I've gotten to know you. I know. Well, it's because the house is full of tenants all the time. People <laughs> uh, paying to be in that part of the world that you live in all year. So. Well, especially during COVID. Uh, <laughs> right. It's even worse. That's right. Down here. Um, yeah. And uh, the reason and we I were also- both born in Alabama. So. Yeah, not overlook that. Right, uh, people. Like, let me. Let me. Uh, the joke that we always talk about is uh, that we're both from L.A., but it's actually Lower Alabama, not yes. Los Angeles. And actually, you were born in Birmingham. I was. <laughs> Which isn't Lower Alabama. I was born in Lower Alabama. Yes. Oh, yeah. it's <laughs> uh, one of my favorite jokes. I actually, when I was living out in San Diego in uh, two thousand, excuse me, in nineteen ninety six, I had to give a speech on stage. And I actually threw that joke out that I was from LA and everybody <laughs> kind of nodded their head. And I said, Oh no, that's lower Alabama. And I got a room full of laughter. It was pretty good. So excellent. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, that's not why we're here. We are here because Douglas, you have one of the biggest marketing podcasts in the world. I've been grateful enough to go on three times. Uh, one was a siloed podcast during quarantine, which was a bonus awesome. episode. Yes. Yes. But my point is what I'm trying to figure out is how many episodes have you done of the podcast to this to 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 so far? Well, episodes where I interview an author uh, about a book, uh, I will be soon publishing uh, episode three thirty tomorrow. So you've read three hundred and thirty marketing books. actually, i've I've had to read more because a couple of them, I read the book and then the the interview was canceled or I did the interview and it was horrible <laughs> and or, or for other reasons. And then, of course, I've been reading books for a long time. So, yeah, I, I, but it's only one a week and it's good for me. And I really I really enjoy it. I mean, I yeah. maybe that's why the podcast has you know some good traction. It well, does. one is because I keep doing it, but also I just I really enjoy uh, reading the books. I learn a lot. And you know what? Every time, every single book I read. I I learned something, at least one thing new, and I say to myself, Douglas, how did you not know that? <laughs> so it makes me realize that I need to keep keep reading and, and learning. And I have such a- admiration for folks like you uh, who write these books, kind of, you know, it's like you pour your blood and your sweat, <laughs> your tears into these things. Mm-hmm. Some people, 
you know, hurt their businesses or their marriages or whatever by writing these books. I mean, it's just, I, I have admiration and it's, it's just such, there is no better ROI for your career than reading one of these books mm. and just soaking up what an author is sharing. Yeah. You know, in all honesty, my wife literally told me the day that the undefeated marketing system came out. She said, she said, are you going to write another book? I said, Oh, of course. Yes. I, I'm going to write a book called Comparatizing, which is going to be about how the art of the the negative political ad and how it how it is applied in the corporate America. And she looked at me and she said, "If you write that thing in the next two years, I'm divorcing you." Oh, you're kidding! Do <laughs> yeah. you know there's an author I interviewed, a, a good guy. Actually, uh, you should meet him, Tom Martin. He lives in New Orleans, and he wrote the Invisible Tom State. the Liar Martin. No, know. I'm just kidding. I don't know, Tom. <laughs> Tom, he went to uh, he went to Texas, so don't get him started on Texas okay. A&M football. But I asked him after his first book, I said, hey, you're going to be writing another one of these because I really liked it. And he said, you know, I was at a cocktail party recently and uh, someone knew that I just launched this first book and they asked my wife, uh, is Tom going to be writing another book? And his wife said, I don't know. Ask his next wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm running four different companies and then I wrote a book in addition to that. So yeah, yes. it wasn't in all honesty, sorry, we're, we're, this is like uh, not marketing, but this is like the psycho <laughs> this is like me on the psychologist couch. It really wasn't fair to have that many things on my plate to my family. So it's mm. one of those things I've actually, in all honesty, done in therapy. I do a lot of therapy, real therapy. And it's one of the things where I realized like, no, they, I have to account for my family and these decisions going forward, but I will write that book. I just don't know when it will be. But um, have you ever really, Douglas, have you ever thought about writing your own about well, what I, you've learned? Well, I, I sometimes I do. And mainly because uh, folks are saying, why don't you write it? But I don't know. I don't know what to do. Maybe there's a little bit of imposter syndrome. I've read so many great books, but right. I'm thinking- What if you wrote a book about the greatest things you've learned and you attributed it to the authors, but you just summarized it all? Whatever book I would write it would ha or books, it would need to be infused very heavily with insights from all the hundreds of books that I've read. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm thinking, thinking about that, if, okay, if that might be know. helpful. Offline, we will talk. I'll, uh, I have some ideas. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Of course. What have you learned from reading 330 marketing books? Like, well, yeah, I don't want good, bad. I, we can go through good and bad, but what have you learned from reading 300 and then interviewing the authors? What is the commonality that comes into play with all of them? Well, I sometimes give a talk where I talk about whether it's for marketers or business owners or, or whatever, and tailor it based on the things that just keep recurring to me. You know, there's like a rhythm. There's a certain pattern matching that goes on. And I think the number one thing, for whether they're a marketer or a business owner that just keeps coming back over and over and over again, is that those companies that best understand their customers always win. And not only that, you don't have to completely understand them. You just have to understand them a little bit better than your competition. And it's, the results are amazing. So many books I've read where they talk about the success of these companies, it all goes back to a company's ability to empathize with their customers and understand what their life is like, what's their, what are their latent anxieties and desires, uh, what are their fears, 
pretty quickly you learn it's not really about your product or service. Uh, it's about understanding them, and I and I and it's hard for companies to do because it's they're so internally focused and they're you know operating, they're focused on their products or services, their operations, and all that sort of thing. But you know, the, the, you can say there's three kinds of companies. Uh, one is companies that are really focused on themselves, which I think is most companies. It's hard not to be focused on your own operations and yourself. And then there's companies that are focused a little bit more on their competition than their own operations. And, and they won't ever admit it, but most of their strategic decisions are driven by uh, what the competition's doing. And there's a third group that is probably smaller, but it's those companies that are slightly more focused on their customers than on their own operations and their competition. So an example would be uh, Amazon. And Amazon, a number of authors have said their priority is not authors. <laughs> it's the customers. You Maybe you've encountered that. But Amazon is always focusing on their customers and the culture is doing that. They're looking for the friction in their customer's life. How can they make buying from them easier? How can they better understand them? And the reason I say it's hard to do, even at a company like Amazon, apparently Jeff Bezos will go to meetings in conference rooms and the the story is he always wants one empty chair. And the reason why is because the empty chair represents the customer, which even in a company like that, they're not always thinking about. And he'll end up pointing at the chair during a meeting and saying, wait a minute, that's not what she wants. We know that. We have the results. We have the data that points to that. But that's the straw that, that stirs the drink. So I think that's probably the most important thing. And I think that empathy is, I've concluded that it's the most important word in marketing and sales. And just so everyone understands, empathy is not sorrow, compassion, or pity. And that's not it. It's your it's your ability to get in the other person's shoes and understand their point of view. And again, if you do that just a little bit, you can. And that's why, and we didn't plan this listener, but <laughs> that's why Philip's book, The Undefeated Marketing System, had quite a bit of that in there about not only do you need to understand them, you have to go to great lengths to understand them if what you ultimately do is going to be uh, successful. Yeah, I mean, I always try to talk about in the book or in the this podcast how <clears throat> we're, we're focusing on different steps within the five step marketing system, and for me, that is step one. Like it, it is, you have to understand that. Um, what's important is the empathy and understanding the customer. But you also mentioned something that kind of uh, raised my ire. I literally just got off a a call with a founder who is in the e commerce space and was talking to me about you know, working with us and he sells baby products and he is doing like, like eight to $10 million a year in sales on Amazon. But there are some nefarious characters who have come in, um, you know, cheaper products uh, and, and they actually go in and game the Amazon review system. So they've now pounded him with one-star reviews and <clears throat> upvoted this one-star review. So that's the first thing customers see. And he's just desperate to figure this problem out. And, and I told him, well, when you rent your business, when you rent from another company, when you rent your customers from another company like Amazon, uh, you're eventually going to have these kind of problems, right? And the problem is, is that his customers only care about friction to transaction. They want quality, but the first thing that they're looking for is convenience. That's why they go to Amazon. 
they know they can do two clicks and they're done. They can, they'll go buy his baby product and two clicks and they're done. And probably yeah. not get a lot of hassle if they have to return something. Uh, yeah. Thank you. That's a great, that's part two of that. And so he's like, what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, well, you got to combat the, the, the Amazon review issue, which by the way, if you want to know, I've, I've actually had to go through this too, because I've had people who want to cancel me over my book and they are now trying to start a campaign to sabotage me through Amazon reviews. And I'm having to combat that. It's not something I thought about, but my book is on their platform. I'm renting their platform. I don't have the book for sale on my own website. And so maybe I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, but I'm telling this business owner, like you need to build a marketplace on your own platform so you can collect the data. And the reason, everything you just said, Douglas, is because Amazon is a data company first before they're an e-commerce platform for other businesses. Um, and everything comes down really to the way I look at that first step, understanding the customer, Friction of transaction or convenience is one of the three factors I see right now. The other is your quality of your product and the price, right? It's really come down to three things. That's it. Um, and so that, that's super interesting. What book, and you, listen, I'm, I'm, you do not, and you're not allowed to mention my book again. What book <laughs> has really stood out to you that you've read recently? And what were the key takeaways? Oh, gosh. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little tricky for me to answer that, not because I'm going to hurt feelings, but I get books just about every day now from authors. I, sure. I, I never realized there were more. I, when I started the podcast, the only concern I had is that there were not going to be 52 books a year <laughs> about marketing. <laughs> now there are books that apparently there are. And so now I actually have this nice problem. And the reason I it's hard to answer is because all the books that are on the show are ones that I really wanted to read anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so I like all of them so much. There's a book that was on uh, last last year or not too long ago it just 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 popped into my head it was called the myths of marketing by grant leboff he's in uh, london and it's part of kogan page's series called myths there was another excellent book by michelle carville called myths of social media and each of those books had about 25 or 30 of these myths mm-hmm. and so anyway for myths of marketing for me when we talked about therapy it's like it's like it turned into a support group because every single chapter is something that throughout my career, I feel like I was taking crazy pills or I was having to explain to people. I mean, you must do that a lot where you're saying, yes. oh, let me, let, and it's like you're trying, and almost every one of those chapters is a topic where there's got to be times where you must have thought, you know, I'm, it's like I'm explaining to somebody that the earth rotates around the sun rather than the sun around the earth. It's just, it just kind of blows their mind. And I just, uh, that was an example of one where I just got so fired up reading it and, uh, and I enjoyed the interview. Is there anything that any specific uh, example that stood out? Oh gosh, there were, there were, I mean, you've so, read so many books, so I know that that. Yeah, there were so many. But, you know, like the idea of, um, I, I can't remember exact titles, but like you're talking about, you know, getting a relationship with your customers. Like, for instance, that company you're dealing with, if they could capture email addresses right. and start to build a relationship directly, they can yeah. start to cut out whoever that middleman is. The same with social media. I don't know, but every, every one of them, I just remember the last chapter was something that I thought was rather brave and courageous is he, he was saying... You know, there's just a lot of talk now about purpose-driven brands and so forth. 
And that's kind of, you know, everything, half of everything in marketing is a, is a new buzzword, of course, you know, purpose-driven marketing, whatever, fill in the blank. And he was explaining that purpose-driven companies, those, those are, it's really wonderful when they're like that. But he was saying, you don't have to have a purpose <laughs> to be successful if you're, he says, Amazon, what, they don't have a purpose. They're not some higher purpose like REI. And I just thought that was that was interesting. It's great when a company has that, but yeah. his, his issue was don't. It's inauthentic to don't. Yes, exactly. Percent of them, right? Right. Don't inauthentically glom onto right. some purpose if it's not really what you're all about. And I don't remember, worry about it. I remember walking into other businesses throughout my career and they have like a mission statement on the wall. And it's like, uh, it's like a two-page mission statement and like 10 values. And I'm like, if I ever run a business, I will never have something like this on a wall. It, that is just all ego to me, right? Yeah. Uh, it goes up comes, on the CEO's wall on a plaque. Yeah, exactly. So he, it, they can pat themselves on the back and then trick their employees, which no one's tricked. The employees know exactly what it is. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like at our company, it's two. It's give and grow. That's it. That's what we, we, every meetings uh, around, are we giving more than we take and are we growing? Are we growing our clients, but are we also growing how we're doing our jobs? You you know, we have a a rule in our company. You have to, you have to um, replace yourself within two years and grow into another role. Oh, cool. I think it also might mean, um, are you growing? Are you developing personally? Are you learning? A hundred percent. Everybody has to have a a growth plan in the company. And I would hope that you could mandate that they listen to the marketing book podcast. It's actually just a uh, suggestion. They I'm, actually I'm, get fired if they don't. Uh, <laughs> okay. Right. And the first, it's, it's the onboarding process. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because there was a book on the show recently called Activate Brand Purpose. And these two guys in New York were saying, look, you know, if you, if you have a purpose, they weren't showing you how to do it. They were saying, look, if you ha- really do have a purpose that's important to your employees and your vendors and your you know customers and so forth, that's great. But they said most of the time it ends up going up on a plaque in the CEO's office. This was a book that said, look, here's here's how to activate it <laughs> to make right. it help you, to make it help your customer, you know, all that sort of thing. So I thought that was that was interesting. I I, I don't have Grant's book handy now, but there was there were several in there that just it made me feel like, oh, I'm not the only person that has been banging my head against the wall trying to help people understand the following. And uh so that, that was one that I, I really yeah, uh, enjoyed of recently. Myths marketing, everybody. That's, uh, Myths of marketing. Great read. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So this is the fun question. What have you seen in the marketing industry that has been a colossal failure or where people just don't get it? I mean, I, I can go for days, but um, I always like to learn from the failures. Like, where have you seen marketers fail? And by the way, Douglas... If you say, oh, in my own business, this is where we got something wrong in your own marketing business. I, you know, I lay out in, in the undefeated market system how we colossally got this wrong from mm-hmm. a massive client and got fired. And then how we use that to, to improve and actually systematize this process. But I'd be curious uh, whether it's uh, what you've learned through interviewing 330 authors and reading their books or in your own business, what have you seen from a uh, that has not worked? What has failed, um, and what have you learned from it? I'll give you a two-part answer. One, uh, hopefully shorter, is what is often referred to as check-the-box marketing, 
which is where you really don't think about your customer or what you're trying to accomplish or what your business goals are. But do we have a podcast? Do we have a Snapchat strategy? Mm-hmm. And you could be selling industrial boilers, and it's like, does that even make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Like, oh, let's do this, let's do that. And that's why it's a perfect example. See, see how that just uh, are we doing all this activity? Is it? It's not related back to revenue at all or what you're trying to accomplish as a company. And it's why I see a lot of marketing departments, sometimes because they're told to do this, but they're just focusing on activity rather than how that leads to what the company is trying to accomplish. So that's a, a big mistake I see. By the way, can I interrupt and answer that So before you go to uh, number two, part two of that? 90% of the businesses that come into our company say, well, we threw some ads up on Facebook and we can't figure out why it didn't work. It's the same thing. They just think they have to do it. Yeah. I have to laugh years ago because I came from an advertising background and my own firm was advertising up until man, maybe 10 years ago. But I can remember being at some chamber of commerce function and there was some guy on a panel discussion spouting off and he was talking about his business and he said, advertising doesn't work. We ran an ad once. Nothing <laughs> happened. I mean, you've heard people like that all the time. time. Yeah. yeah. So that's one where they're doing that. And sometimes that's driven by a management phenomenon called management by in-flight magazine, where the boss comes in on a Monday, throws the in-flight magazine on the table and says, why are we not spending all our money on TikTok or whatever? You know. So that's one that I, so I see a lot. You had a part two. Okay. Part two was one that I experienced where I realized, and I made a long-term decision based on that. So we would do, we still do, for a client, we sort of arm them, with arm the sales team. So we produce all this content that generates a lot of organic traffic. And it's also content that the sales team can use right away in the course of their prospecting and their and their uh, and their sales. Okay, so what that often involves is we have to do a little bit of research. We do workshops, you know, SEO research, and we interview a lot of the customers. And again, we're trying to get in touch with the better in touch with the customer. Mm. So then we very often we'll build them, a, set them up a new website if they if they need it, and then get all the workflows going and all that sort of thing, all landing pages, email marketing, all that sort of thing. Okay, so we've done that. And then there was something that happened, I don't know, two or three years ago, and it's happened to me over the years. And I finally just snapped and said, we're not doing that anymore. And basically the CEO was saying, well, we're not, we're just not making the sales. And so we go into the CRM and we say, well, what happened to these leads that we helped generate? Yeah, we didn't call them. And Hmm. so we were building these beautiful carts and they didn't have much of a horse. So in other words... I'd like to tell you that everything we do can make all your dreams come true, just like Pedro on Napoleon Dynamite, <laughs> voting for Pedro, excuse me. Yeah. But the, the truth is, if you don't have these things connected, it's not going to work. So in other words, if they're yeah. not following a sales process, if, they don't, if they're not actively proactive, proactively prospecting, if they don't have all of that going on, this isn't really working. So at that point, we said, you know, we're only going to work with companies where we can either help them get their sales squared away first or make sure that they have that. And I know you don't want me talking about your book, but it's a perfect example of the, the guys that you worked with where you got all their advertising going for them. And 
was it the pizza guys? Uh, I, don't, uh, I can't no, remember. No, it was the pest control guys. <clears throat> pest control guys. Good guys. I love these guys too. Is, yeah. I heard but, you write about them in the book. But you I did really this. Like you, got, you did everything right. Yeah. We okay? sent a ton of leads to them. And you sent them 237 leads, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes. And they got like six, six appointments. Conversions, yeah. Right. Six conversions. Because the first part wasn't squared away. Yeah. Exact they're, they're same thing I'm talking about. Yeah, their brand. Uh, so for the listener that hasn't read the book, they said, I liked them. They're genuinely good guys. And I, they, they, we did the data, helped them with a the strategic plan. They had a very small ad budget. And they said, we're getting the brand done on our own. But by the time the ads run, so we said, okay. And I made the mistake of doing exactly what you just said. Like I, I, we've done this as well. Like if you're not, com- I, and I talk about this in the book a lot, committed versus interested, right? Oh yeah. And I said, uh, if you're not committed, you know, but I, these guys were interested. They wanted to be committed. They just didn't have the money and they didn't fix their brand, which is step three. Right. So when we sent the leads to their page, we sent 237 leads calls on their webpage was two massively overweight dudes leaning up against a car in t-shirts and which gives the customer no assurances of safety. And then the, the words on the web page itself went to the very ends of the page. So it just, it, it wasn't mobile friendly, which I, you know, can't tell businesses, business owners in this enough. You have to be mobile friendly. 88% of all consumers will never come back to your website if they have one bad experience. And so they literally converted six out of 237 leads. And then I just said, okay, that's another lesson for me. Right. So that's why that story in the book resonated with me because it was a similar sort of thing where I just said, no more. That's it. We are a great adjunct, but if this is the only thing they're doing, right, they're they're not going to succeed and I'm we're not going to take their money. It's not going to end well. You know? So in politics when a candidate hires a professional fundraiser, so he hires a, let's say a, a person that is going to be, you know, helping get his fundraising organized, let's say the candidate, right? A lot of times, Douglas, that candidate says, oh, I hired a fundraiser. They just, they just go find the money and bring it into the campaign. And you go, no, this is an, it's almost like an executive assistant for your fundraising. It's, Someone that is literally going to follow up on all the leads, give the personal touches, but it's you, the candidate, that's going to raise the money. Like that, there's no in, in, if, ands, or buts about it. The candidate raises the money. Unfortunately, it's a lot of work. It kind of sucks. But the only way you're going to raise money in politics is if the candidate is committed to raising. The, the candidates that, that win are all committed to literally spending six days a week in their basement on a phone, cold calling or hot calling their friends. And, yeah. and right, and their fundraiser is the one that then follows up with a thank you note, follows up with a phone call that says you committed to this dollar. When are you going to get it in? We're going to have a party. You can come to the party, whatever it is. And the candidate that always gets it wrong says, "No, I hired a fundraiser, and they're supposed to raise me a million dollars, and I only raised ten thousand. I'm like, well, yeah, that's not how it works. And I think for me, it's the same thing I see a lot of times in businesses. They go, hold on, I hired a marketing firm. How come it didn't work? Well, I'm like, no, it's a combination. It's an alignment between your outcomes, your values, and our talent to come in and help you put that on steroids. Yes. Those leads aren't going to close themselves. (laughs) 
<laughs> no. And that's why I've probably had over 50 books about sales on the Marketing Book Podcast. I love books about sales. I think I often get better marketing ideas, content ideas by reading books about sales because it gets me a little bit closer to how people buy and what the objections are and the friction sure. and the concerns and all that sort of thing. But also, the best marketers have a deep understanding of sales. They spend time with their salespeople. They, they spend time with their customers. They often know more about the customer than the maybe even the salespeople. And that's not to take away from the sales folks. They have a very specific role. And a lot of it has to do with um, maybe later in the buyer journey. You know, and there's been a number of authors who've said, you know, marketers, you should spend one day a month at minimum with your sales team. I agree. I, you know, I had um, uh, a guy on the podcast I interviewed yesterday named Todd Uderstadt. Have you ever heard of him? No. So Todd has a podcast called From Founder to CEO. And he said, the one thing, the lesson that I have learned from every founder out there is that they need to be the lead in business development and sales. Doesn't mean that they don't have a sales team. It doesn't, but if they are unwilling to do sales, they're unwilling to have success in their company. Just like the fundraising of a a political candidate. Yeah. I'm stealing that idea, Mr. Stutz. It's absolutely true. And I just go, yeah, I mean, like I'm still the lead sales guy for my company because I'm the one that had the vision. I'm the visionary of the company. So I feel like it's my responsibility to carry this vision. And we are going to hire some business development people down the road. But not right now, I, I just think it, and it'll always be my responsibility. I love this part of the business. It's what I get to go talk about, what I'm passionate about. So we are winding down. And Douglas loved uh, the conversation. This is, uh, this is really fun. All right. The tip of the week. And I, I've got to have an intro now. This is the second time I've thought about this, but I need to create a fun tip of the week intro. Don't you think, Douglas? A tip of, oh, for the tip of the week. Yeah. Maybe yeah. with sing, singers, like a jingle on radio. Yeah. I need some something that leads in a little bit better yeah. than this. But Philip okay. Stutz, tip of the week. <laughs> there you, maybe, all right. We're going to clip that. That's what's going to be. Okay. So here's my tip of the week. And it's, it, it's not what I thought I was going to do, but it kind of falls in line with what Douglas and I were talking about. So if you're an e-commerce company out there and you're like, okay, all my sales are on Amazon. What do I do to get off everything off Amazon? I would tell you one idea that you could utilize is that you can include some information about your company and your products or services, like a postcard or something that you can throw into the box that Amazon delivers. And in that, you should include a 10% off your next purchase if you buy it on the company's website, not Amazon's website. Why is that important? Well, 10% is nothing, especially if you understand the lifetime value of your client or customer. And if your customer is buying $200 over their lifetime, then giving them 20 bucks is actually a pretty cheap ad campaign. And then the ability for them to buy on your website, you now have their data and you start becoming the data company instead of Amazon. That is not an overnight shift. It is a long-term shift, but it's one idea that we've utilized pretty successfully for a couple of clients over the long-term to make sure that you own the data, not the social media platforms. Douglas, and and you own the relationship. Oh, yes. Or you have a shot at that. Yeah, that's right. 
Because you should be marketing to those people more than you should be marketing for new or equally to new customers. They're very likely to buy from you and they're probably much happier with you than you realize. And it costs a hell of a lot cheaper because you can just email them and, and get them to buy. And if you can increase the lifetime value of a customer now that you own the data from, you know, we did this, uh, and I think I write about this in Undefeated, but in the, we had a lifetime value of this apparel client. We went from 92 to 192 in about six months. And if they, you know, I think they had at the time, they were a brand new e-commerce client. They had about a thousand customers. I mean, you're talking about a hundred thousand dollars to the bottom line, just to market within your own customer base. So, Ooh, that's two tips. Douglas, you got anything that is off the top of your head? It could be to complement this or something else. Uh, maybe a little bit different, but it's something that we've used and it has honestly given our clients an unfair advantage. And that is, if you were to Google buyer personas or go to buyerpersona.com and, and Google for the five rings of insight, this is one of my favorite books. It's called A Buyer Persona by Adele Ravella. But these five rings, or she calls them the five rings of buying insight. But if you just get in touch with what these five insights are for your customers, you really do have an unfair advantage. And it has to do not so much with your product or your service, but the things that I was talking about earlier, where you are able to tap into things like, why did somebody decide to make buying a priority? In other words, we've all got about 200 priorities. <laughs> what is it that suddenly makes, whatever you're selling, what is it that suddenly makes something bubble up to become one of the top two or three? If you start to understand that, it really reorients you. And then there's other things like, I'll give you an example. Another one that she talks about is what is it that people are looking for? What, what is it that is going to make them successful? And it doesn't mean lower price or whatever. It's like, right. what are they looking for emotionally? You know, So in a B2B situation, it could be they want to look better to their boss. They want to look professional. These what are the emotional things? And then one of them is called perceived barriers. And often it's wrong or it's not even true, but you, you if you start mm. to understand why somebody thinks they can't buy from you, it really reveals where you need to you know, educate or change your messaging or, or just understand these. A lot of times it's a misperception. And then you, know, you understand what are kind of some of the typical, everybody's buyer journey is different, but what, what does somebody tend to do to research. And then the other one that's so surprising, the last one that's so surprising is the decision criteria. <laughs> in almost every instance, the reason people are buying from you is not what you think. Exactly. It's usually something different. And so we, we go off and do these interviews and it'll maybe take 10, 20, 30 minutes to do it with a, a series of customers. And the clients come, we come back to the client, we tell them what we're doing. I just told you how we do it. And they will say one of two things, if not both. One is, man, you really understand our customers. <laughs> well, yeah. And then they'll say, gosh, I forgot how much goes on in our customers' world before they get to us. It just seems to change everything. And so naturally, you can use that to change the website content, to use your to change any kind of messaging, advertising, content you're producing. It even helps the sales team to better understand how to break through to people uh, who aren't coming to you in the first place. You know, if you're doing some more outbound prospecting, it helps you to better target who you're trying to reach. It's just it's something that I've seen work really, really well. Oh, that's awesome. Douglas, how can everybody find you? They can connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, otherwise- That is the, the platform of your choice right now. Yeah, right. it is. The website for the 
podcast is marketingbookpodcast.com. On Twitter, I'm marketingbook. Uh, the only thing uh, I, I would mention is that because I've read so many books, if I can recommend one or two books for whatever specific challenge you have right now or something you want to learn more about, if I can keep you from having to read 300, 400 books to recommend one or two that's going to help you right now, let me make a suggestion and do that. The only thing I ask is that because LinkedIn has lately turned into an Mm. orgy of automation and spam, please include a message (laughs) that you, you you heard me or something so I'll know that you're not somebody trying to sell me you know, whatever it is these people are all pitching, but, but, but we'll connect and, and chat and I'll figure out and I'm able to make a suggestion or maybe even send you a link to an interview I've done that, that might help you. Every day from around the world, I got messages from folks saying, what's a book I could read about this? What's a book or other resource that you know of that might help me? And I love being able to do that. That's the fun thing I get to do. And it only takes a few, it takes a few seconds. I love it. Douglas is a giver and uh, a good man, and I'm very appreciative uh, for that. That's really a great offer, everybody. So lastly, tell everybody real quick about Artillery. So it's a a small marketing agency, and we like to work with industrial and uh, companies and, and manufacturers. And as I started to describe earlier there, we are you know, the website is sales artillery. So there's kind of a metaphor there where we mm-hmm. take sort of a sales-based approach to creating a lot of the marketing content and work with clients to establish what their goals are if it's not just straight revenue growth. Well, I love that. What so many marketing firms get wrong is the strategy. That's exactly what you just said. We help them with their strategy, which is so important that they get that right from the beginning and not yeah. just throw up a bunch of things on a wall and hope they stick. Right. And also the connection, because I was an artillery officer in my misspent youth. I like to say that marketing is to sales as artillery is to infantry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so artillery is not going to win a war, but it's going to help the infantry take more real estate. Love it. Douglas, I appreciate you being on today. And that was a lot of fun. And uh, you guys reach out to him, let him know if you have any questions. And that is it for today. We'll talk to you next time. That's all, folks.